A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For most people, a lockdown is a restriction. But for the most unscrupulous, it's an opportunity. An opportunity to steal from the elderly. She was led to believe that £50,000 was in her mother's savings account and she looked through her accounts and found it had all simply disappeared. She asked her mother where the money was and her mother didn't have a clue. During the six months since the nation retreated from normal life, scams aimed at the old and isolated have been on the rise. It was just constant, constant calls. And then gradually with lockdown, we started to get things like emails relating to the TV licence. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, when the scammers came for mum. It happens to us all. The other day, someone called my phone. The issue at hand is extremely time-sensitive. A woman's voice said she was from the HMRC. This is Officer Dennis Gray from HM Revenue and Customs. It turned out I was in arrears on my tax bill and needed to take immediate action to avoid legal consequences. I repeat, it is... She sounded educated but demanding. Do not disregard this message. Had we gone on, she would have requested my bank details so we could settle the debt there and then. If you do not call us back, or we do not hear from your solicitor, either, then get ready to face the legal consequences. I put the phone down. I knew it was a scam. But now imagine I'd never heard of this form of fraud before. Maybe because I'm on my own, possibly suffering from some form of dementia. But what I can understand is the threat if I don't pay. I'd be like thousands of old people, isolated by the pandemic. Easy game. I'm David Byers and I work as assistant money editor at the Times and Sunday Times newspapers. I co-produce and write the money sections for both daily and Sunday papers and also write stories for the news and business sections. David, tell us about Paula. Well, I had um, been looking to find a way to report on groups of society who'd been negatively affected by COVID, but had been largely marginalised by the coverage. So the coverage is almost exclusively focused on the problems facing various aspects of the workforce and the economy, school children and infection rates. But I wanted to find another group of society who had suffered greatly without necessarily catching the virus. And so I came across some stunning Alzheimer's Society research, which questioned 2,000 carers of people suffering with dementia and found that a total of 82% 
had reported their loved ones had suffered serious mental decline because of the lockdown, the loss of regular physical, mental and social activity uh, that caused this big deterioration. So I decided to contact the society and ask to speak to somebody who could tell me more about it, which is how I came across Paula Saunderson and her mother, Patricia. David Byers spoke to Paula about being a carer during lockdown and what he found was that those being cared for were not just at risk from their health. My name is Paula Saunderson. I'm 65. I reached my state pension age in December at 66. I'm currently a full-time dementia carer for my mother. I used to be a project and change manager in banking, working at quite a high level. And then I ran a series of small businesses, mainly relating to estate agency lettings and holiday lets. Oh, you did holiday lets? Yeah, from Hamble, where I used to live before I moved back to West Berkshire to look after my mother. You were a bank manager and a project manager. Did you plan for having to become a full-time carer? Did you think that's something you'd be doing? No, not at all. No, my um, plans for retirement, I wish to live off-grid in the countryside. But after mum was diagnosed with dementia, we'd had carers in for a couple of years. And that was after I discovered the financial situation. And it just became too much for my sister and I to manage, not in control. So I left Humble and came back to West Berkshire to live with her. Now, if you don't mind, could you just paint a picture for us of your mum? Well, she was born in 1932 in West Berkshire, where she's lived all her life. At 18, she joined the Wrens, the Women's Navy, and Dad had joined the uh, Men's Navy. So they met in Weatherby in Yorkshire, and they did most of their courting in Scotland. So they really loved Scotland, where they had a lovely life, bought up two daughters, And then, unfortunately, in the year that they were both due to retire at 60, Dad developed stomach cancer and died within three months. So she has spent the last 28 years alone. So you realised that really you couldn't, you and your sister couldn't manage the situation with your mother unless one of you moved in and the one of you to move in was you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's different for each family because, you know, you've all got different personal circumstances. But at 85, she's had heart failure for years. This might sound a bit peculiar, but the NHS is keeping my mum alive with various medical interventions, and then, quite naturally, the brain starts to deteriorate as well. But there's no cure for that. Dementia is an incurable, regressive brain disease. So the ability to be independent and look after yourself starts really to rapidly decline. So you get to a point where you've either got to decide to do it yourself or come to another conclusion, and we decided that we would like to care for her. Paula, 
Paula moved in with her mother, at which point she discovered that her mother had actually undergone a decline that she hadn't previously quite understood. Yes. So what Paula has said to me, which I think rings true for everybody I've spoken to who uh, is caring for people with dementia, is that she had noticed the physical frailty, but not the mental frailty. She noticed the physical decline and not the mental decline. And in Patricia's case, the physical decline was a collapse that she suffered at home after having a stroke. So at that point, Paula decided, gosh, my mother's going downhill a bit, better move in. But in fact, she later realised she'd missed the mental decline, a more subtle decline over a long period. This strikes me as being quite common, isn't it, really, which is it's easy to see the physical decline, but there are ways that people have of hiding, in a sense, a kind of mental decline, or actually that their relatives sometimes have of overlooking it. That's right, and I think in this case it was a combination of the two. So Paula actually signed uh, a financial power of attorney with Uh, Patricia in 2007, many, many years ago. That gives her the authority to act financially on her behalf in the event that she finds herself unable to do so. But she never used it because for many, many years afterwards, Patricia vehemently insisted that she was absolutely fine. She said that she had absolutely no issues whatsoever. She was a very independent person. And that almost scared Paula off. She took a step back and decided to do nothing until she saw this physical decline and then realised it was too late. I should have got involved earlier. We had an instinct years before when wills were being done that we'd draw up the power of attorney and everything, but we didn't register it and we didn't actively make sure that she was living within her income and wasn't being scammed. It takes some brass neck to say to your parent, look, I think you're not mentally capable and I'm going to intervene. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we looked at hundreds of reader comments under this story and that was the most regularly posted comment that you can't necessarily blame Paula for not noticing her mother's decline because so many people are suffering with the same problem. So when she moved in, she realised that mother had given away her savings. And of course, she also and I suppose we'll come on to this, realised when she was living with her mother quite how hounded she had been with scammers and fraudsters and quite how impossible it had been in a way for someone of declining mental state to hold on to their money. So it's a difficult tale. Let's talk about what she discovered had happened to her mother's money during the period before she moved in. So she was led to believe that £50,000 was in her mother's savings account and she looked through her accounts and found it had all simply disappeared. She asked her mother where the money was and her mother didn't have a clue. And Paula then found in the garage a huge amount of documentation relating to direct debits to companies that her mother and her didn't recognise and didn't seem to need. And Paula's view was, look, I could dig deeper and deeper into who these companies are and what these scams are but I don't think I can because my mother can't remember anything about it so she simply went through cancelling direct debits every single direct debit she could find um, and paid off the £12,000 debt in small instalments using her pension and just decided to start afresh and decided to protect her mother from there on in. After she'd had the stroke we had to look to see how we could support her so that meant carers. So obviously I needed to understand the finances 
And when I started to do that, I found a complete mess, basically. So all the savings from her last property sale had gone, and she got these £12,000 of debt. There were papers stuffed everywhere all around the house, (laughs) under beds, in the garage. She had a little book where she was keeping a running account, supposedly, but it wasn't accurate. And then it was obvious that some money had probably been scammed away. I didn't actually spend a lot of time going backwards over it all. The most important thing was to get anything that was a debit coming off of her account cancelled and to do the budgets and start to repay the debt, basically. So her mother had not only gone through her savings, but was actually £50,000, was actually £12,000 in debt, which Paula herself paid off. Now, when you started digging down into it, did you discover who the money was going to and who'd taken it and how? It became impossible to work out who had taken it, basically, because her mother had kept a money diary but appeared to have arbitrarily excluded almost everything from it. She wondered whether some of it had gone to family members. but She suspected a lot had gone to scammers, but she never found out. She did then take some pretty fundamental action when she moved in. Now, when I go out, I unplug the phone from the phone line. Because everyday scammers will call for your mother. Yeah, they're trying to get through every day on phones or... The emails have stopped a little bit because I'm just using my own email now. I'm not using an email separate email for her. But the phone, yeah, every day you get those crazy calls. Changed the phone number. I stopped her from answering the phone. We have a message on the answer phone that says that the line is being monitored for fraud calls, and that usually means that they completely put it down. I don't leave her for more than two hours now because of her decline, and that's my strategy. I never answer the phone without it going to answer phone because more than half the time they clonk the phone down when they hear a message saying it's being monitored for fraud. And then, as I say, when I'm not here, it's not plugged in. Unfortunately, as people know... Uh, and unfortunately we know writing lots of stories about this once you've been the victim of a scam other scammers will call and further scammers will call on top of that you do get this snowball effect where basically there are networks of fraudsters who all pile in so she was being totally bombarded with scammers when Paula moved in so do you mean that once her mother had been contacted by phone and possibly had given what an email address or something like that the initial scammers then pass her address on to other scammers that's almost always what happens i mean as an example i've covered quite a number of investment scams and you can find these very easily so you go on to i mean it was msn's main search page and you come across a big advert saying that gordon ramsay has endorsed Bitcoin. And you might click on that. uh, And for the purposes of a story, I filled in my details and got someone to give me a call back. And I then got a call back from a whole load of different people with loads of different supposed company names, 
And the calls went on for day after day after day. So there is a network going on. Many of these scam companies are unfortunately overseas. Information is shared between them. And also many scammers operate under multiple names to avoid detection. So it's very difficult to know whether you're dealing with the same person, whether you're dealing with a different person, whether you're dealing with connected companies or what. And they run rings around the financial authorities for that reason. So it's almost certain that once she had fallen victim, a particular scammer might have contacted them and given a different name and a different organisation and tried it again. So they say to each other, we've got one here. Exactly. She's she's biting. Uh, You could make something from her. Exactly. And they say that scam victims often, uh, unfortunately, fall for scams on multiple occasions for that reason, because they are bombarded in that way. The scamming only became apparent when I started to spend more time in the house because she'd had the same telephone number since VT was invented practically and taken it all round West Berkshire with her. And it was just constant, constant calls. And I began to suss by actually running towards the phone as it rang. It flashes international and then they put up a phone number that looks like an ordinary STD code for a British home. And then gradually with lockdown, we started to get things like emails relating to the TV licence, which obviously she would have had to start to pay. So that was a big scam. And then also the HMRC, all the ones that are currently doing the rounds. But I became quite suspicious about the call centres that some of the companies use being infiltrated. Did you answer any of these phone calls before she could get to them to find out who was calling? Yes, I nearly got conned myself one day. I'd actually done a report on a glitch on the computer and then I got a call from somebody pretending to be Microsoft and wanting access to all sorts of things. And we got halfway down the line and then I just got so suspicious that I wouldn't comply with what they wanted and they started to shout at me (laughs) and then I knew that it was a fraud so I just put the phone down. The laptop went off to make sure that any bugs in it um, were taken out and I had an extra layer of malware put on. And I think it's worth saying, though I think we all know it, that anybody can be scammed because some of the scams are pretty clever. Yeah, absolutely. They're extremely clever. In the case of Paula and Patricia, as an example, they tend to be slightly tailor-made, some of these scams. So during the COVID-19 lockdown, where there was a very, very dramatic increase in scams... Older people were targeted by figures who were impersonating the tax man, police or authority figures. And that really exploits older people and persuades them to hand over their bank details, basically. A frequent one that I've covered in the past is someone who is called up by a fake policeman and told that they should assist with a police investigation into a particular fraud that's going on at the bank and that they would need to hand over their financial details to do that. And it sounds like a ridiculous thing to perhaps to fall for. But when you're an older person, particularly someone in your 80s and 90s, particularly someone who's suffering from dementia, who's got problems with memory loss, you do tend to respect figures of authority. And that's why... 
People like police, taxman, TV licensing and authority figures keep coming up again and again with older people. With younger people, it's very different. So you always hear about the Bitcoin scams, the get-rich-quick scams. We've covered a lot of those among younger people. So they're very tailor-made for their audience. One of the particular scams involved the question of TV licensing, didn't it? Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, well, that's because it was topical. The start of the scheme for people to pay was delayed by the government, but it was due to kick in in August. And I think it was probably about March, April time, emails came. So I, I forwarded them on to the fraud place. But they were obviously very savvy about what was happening but the, the silly thing was they can't spell licensing properly. They spell it with two S's. Bit of a giveaway. Yes. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Would somebody like Paula's mother have been more vulnerable during lockdown because these appear to be authority figures and in a lockdown you kind of reach out to authority or because she's more isolated as a result of a lockdown? It's impossible maybe to discuss with other people. Well, there were two issues. First of all, this goes to the heart of the problem, really, during lockdown, which is that people who suffered from dementia lost their routines. And sometimes those routines are quite fragile. They rely on a particular visit a day to ground them, a particular walk they do each day, a particular form of socialising. And that network has gone. So there was a loss, uh, quite a significant loss, recorded by the Alzheimer's Society, of cognitive function and mental function during that period. So on the one hand, you've got people who are declining quickly. And the Alzheimer's Society points out that there have been 5,400 deaths from dementia not involving any diagnosis of COVID between March and June 2020, which is an increase of 52.5% compared to the five-year average. So You're kidding. We've had a dramatic increase in death from dementia from what we would have expected, but not from COVID. Exactly. And of course, on top of that, the most common pre-existing condition for people dying of COVID in England and Wales was dementia or Alzheimer's disease, with 25.6% of the total. So it's a chicken and egg, really. You have a situation where people who don't have COVID decline quickly because they're suddenly at home, they don't know why, they can't see their loved ones, they can't see their relatives, they're isolated. Paula was alone with Patricia, so in that respect, Patricia was quite lucky because she has someone with her all the time. Sometimes they're on their own entirely and and suddenly you're speaking to people through windows wearing masks and visors. So that, in a way, keeps you at home and it, it accelerates your mental decline. And on the other hand, there has been this very, very dramatic increase in attempted scams, um, which has been recorded by various bodies during COVID itself. So, for example, Action Fraud, the crime reporting service run by the City of London Police, says that 14 million has been stolen in COVID-19 related scams. 
and the Investment Association says there have been more than 300 incidents involving scammers posing as investment managers who've pocketed four million. But those figures are a gross understatement because the vast, vast majority of people who suffer fraud don't report it. So there's a combination, there's the extra pressure being put on you to fall for a scam by the deluge of callers. And there's also your mental decline, which you're suffering at the same time, unfortunately. When we went to a church lunch one day and we were sat with four other elderly couples on a table and we got on to the subject of phone calls and things and all of them either had been scammed or had a near scam recently. That's quite shocking. It is. In fact, the vicar was sat on the table and she instigated a programme for her elderly parishioners and some little sessions on fraud awareness. I think one of the big problems that has been exposed by The Times in an investigation a while ago now by Paul Morgan Bentley was the hopelessness of action fraud. They are nicknamed inaction fraud. This is the fraud reporting service run by City of London Police who are hopelessly understaffed, totally deluged, and when someone reports a fraud... Unfortunately, action is taken in a tiny, tiny minority of cases. So I think it's a question of fraudsters acting with impunity, most of them basing themselves overseas, most of them with a network of addresses where British banking regulation finds it hard to reach, and targeting the most vulnerable. And thanks to the advent of internet, they can do that a lot more easily. Do you have any idea, do you have any notion at all how much money your mother lost to scammers, or is it always going to be impossible now to tell? No, it's going to be impossible now. I mean, there are boxes and boxes of stuff in the garage, but she's got no comprehension, really, now, even if she had at the time. So it wouldn't serve any mentally justifiable reason to do it. I don't think there was a huge sum to one thing. I just think it was a gradual thing over time but people just do need to be aware that the strategy is to try and keep older adults with mental illness in their own home and it works to a point but it only works if the people who are caring for those adults are really on the ball and attentive to the fact that they are very vulnerable to scammers and fraud. How are you both doing now? We're fine. It's very tiring. And mum is not at the very bad stage yet. And for the rest of us, I mean, if we have uh, relatives suffering from dementia uh, or we worry for ourselves, uh, and given what you've said about action fraud, what should we do? If you are a victim of fraud, it can be very, very difficult to get the money back. There is a banking voluntary code, which is where banks who are judged that you have been a victim of fraud and it's not your fault can pay you the money back. So that is a financial services scheme. But ultimately, because of the words voluntary code, you've probably guessed it, the banks are not very good at paying you back and often will cite your own error. They'll say it was your mistake, you withdrawn money you paid somebody who who you didn't check the details of and so forth. So, unfortunately, it's a bit of a wild west out there at the moment and uh, regulation is really poor.
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Assistant Money Editor for The Times and Sunday Times, David Byers, and Paula Saunderson. You can read more of David's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Edward Drummond and Will Rowe. Executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rawfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. And now we're available on the Times Radio app along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. Also, in these uncertain times, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe today to find out more. See you soon.